make sure the tone from the top is consistent. Fraud affects multiple parts of the organization, so it's essential to include the relevant stakeholder in the discussion. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Retail Asia's podcast in partnership with LexisNexis Risk Solutions. In this episode, we'll determine with LexisNexis how organizations can mitigate new account fraud risk, what strategies they can adopt in order to improve their fraud detecting system, and what technologies they can leverage on in order to protect their consumers' data. My name is Simon Hyatt. I am the contributing editor of Retail Asia, and joining me today is Avo Tan Tai, Director of Marketing Planning, Fraud and Identity for APAC at LexisNexis Risk Solutions. Prior to joining LNRS, Tide worked at leading consulting and technology companies focused on risk, compliance, and digital fraud in Asia. With over 19 years of experience in technology transformation and risk consulting, Tai has worked in multiple areas, including business development, customer success, strategy formulation, product management, and execution. Welcome to Retail Asia today, Tai, and thank you very much for joining us. Hi, Simon, and thank you for the introduction, and great to see you, um, and thank you for inviting me to this podcast. Tai, let's start off. I'd like to ask you a few questions today, and once again, thank you so much for joining us here at Retail Asia. Now, firstly, what are the advantages and disadvantages of digitalizing payment channels, in your opinion, Tai? Yeah, the developments have been quite remarkable in the last few years indeed. Payment channels have evolved with the digitization and expansion of commercial channels. Not so long ago, and we are talking about maybe six to seven years ago, credit card, cash, fund transfer were the main payment methods. In some countries, such as Japan, these payment methods are still the dominant channels. However, when you look at Southeast Asia, China, and India, the payment landscape looks completely different from 60 years, six to seven years ago. In the last few years, new payment methods have been introduced, and Asian consumers have adopted some of these new channels at a faster pace than in any other region. You can think of digital wallet, QR code payments, peer-to-peer transfer, buy now, pay later. Just to mention the key ones, um, have basically become embedded into commercial channels in many parts of Asia. And these new payment methods have offered consumers more options, speed of transactions, lower transaction costs, and convenience to buy goods and services online. Uh, other key advantages of these new channels are accessibility to consumers, also known as financial inclusion, and higher conversion rates uh, for businesses. For example, a consumer in a remote part of Indonesia may not have access to credit cards, but this consumer can still buy goods and services online uh, with digital wallet, QR code, a payment, or peer-to-peer transfer using their mobile. Even though digital payments have been widely adopted, consumers still have concerns uh, about this innovation, in particular around security, data privacy, uh, identity theft, and fraud, obviously. And the increase in the number of commercial channels have also created new opportunities for cyber criminals, as bad actors have found new ways to target businesses and consumers. In our true cost of fraud study by LexisNexis Resolution, we have noted that fraud and scams are on the rise in Asia, as well as the cost of fraud. And this trend is expected to continue as more consumers are adopting digital payment channels. Ty, 
How does the digitalization of banking and financial transactions influence risk and digital fraud? What is the correlation here? I think that's an interesting uh, question. Uh, financial technology, also known by its short name FinTech, has brought benefits to businesses and consumers, as we have just discussed. Yet, um, some businesses may not fully prepared for risks that come with the new digital channels. For instance, uh, merchants may increase their online presence and conversion rate by adding social, commercial, and payment channels. But by doing so, the associated risk uh, may not be fully understood or may be overlooked. We have seen a notable shift from physical to identity, so to digital identity. The digitizations of commercial and payment channels continue to evolve at an astonishing pace. And consequently, um, identity verification and authentication have gone digital with the adoptions of virtual onboarding methods uh, that include selfies, liveness tests, and digital and ID verifications. In the, our cost of, a true cost of fraud study, businesses have therefore indicated that identity verifications is a common top challenge across the cus- customer journey from a new account opening logs into payments. And merchant and payment providers should therefore implement measures to verify the identity of their users. For instance, is the user the true account uh, holder or a bot or a fraudster? And the next step is to authenticate the user. Is the identity that we verify at the start still the same identity each time they transact in on our platform or make changes to their accounts? And equally, when consumers scan a QR code for, as an example, to buy services online, it's very important that consumers understand the risks and have conducted their own research on the merchant. Fraud incidents and losses have increased significantly in the last few years as consumer and merchant alike have embraced online channels during the pandemic period as mobility was severely restricted. And cyber criminals have, have exploited this digital transformation process as we have seen spikes in fraud and scam in various forms, uh, such as e-commerce scam, fake stores, the so-called Macau scam investment and dating scam, just to mention some of the more common types of fraud. And in terms of correlations, um, that's that's a tricky one. The digitization of financial services has certainly an impact on the risk profile of some of the financial products, but the larger picture is the expansion of commercial and payment channels. When merchants are operating in multiple countries or markets, they may join selected uh, marketplaces, but ultimately these merchants and consumers uh, rely on the respective marketplaces to provide security and other safeguards to prevent fraud on their platform. Under such scenario, uh, merchants and consumers have very little direct influence on the internal security processes at these marketplaces. Ty, scams are becoming better, professional, and better looking on people's phones and emails, even to tech-savvy users. Ty, what are the current trends in fraud scams that companies and individuals should be aware of and how can we prepare for these scams? Yeah, fraud and in particular social engineering fraud has become more sophisticated, as you just mentioned. Um, much of the news and media attentions uh, focus on third-party fraud, such as phishing, credit cards, SIM swap, and account takeover. And, and certainly in terms of volumes and numbers of reported incidents, these types of fraud have consistently ranked at the top of the fraud pyramids. 
However, when the focus shifts to the financial implications, investment and dating scams, for instance, uh, have resulted in significantly higher financial losses. Uh, this type of fraud, also known as first-party or authorized post-payment fraud, are much harder to detect with conventional um, uh, fraud detection techniques. So how do we prepare for it is that cyber criminals have, in essence, uh, one key aim, and that is to make money, uh, the most money with the least effort. So in order to combat more sophisticated forms of fraud, businesses should consider uh, implementing a multi-layer approach that includes uh, three key elements. The first one is digital intelligence that incorporates uh, digital identity, uh, digital verifications, device intelligence, risk profile, and link analysis, and so on. With link analysis, we analyze different signals and data points and connect the event. By doing so, we create more accurate predictive fraud model. The second element is behavioral analysis. Uh, a typical normal user behaves differently from fraudster or user under coercion. And the last element is adaptive or contextual authentication. This step is aimed at creating a more seamless experience for normal and trusted users and adding frictions in the higher risk transactions. Ty, you've been a consultant on risk compliance and digital fraud around Asia for many years. What are the challenges that companies are assessing and addressing with respect to fraud attacks? Thanks, Simon. That's a very good question. Um, and if I could capture the thought in just one sentence, I would say that the biggest challenge in fraud prevention is how to analyze, link, and make sense of hundreds if not thousands of data attributes and signals that are registered from a single user activity. There's so much data and intelligence available that it can be overwhelming. Uh, let me give you an example. Let's say an account owner is using a mobile phone to log into the account, completes a payment, and then logs out. This activity may take less than five minutes, but within this interval, hundreds of signals are being registered and analyzed, and the underlying te uh, fraud technology will have to verify the identity of the user and determine whether the transaction should be blocked or let through. And this process happens in near real time. And of course, adding to this complexity is the question of how business businesses build in sufficient safeguards to prevent fraud, but concurrently provide a more seamless experience to the customer. Fraud prevention is often associated with loss prevention, um, it is certainly a key driver for some businesses when they implement such technology. However, when you look at this topic from a wider uh, perspective, forward-looking companies utilize technology as a strategic competitive advantage. This company leverages the same technology for a different purpose and find a balance in providing security on, on one hand, but also creating, a less, creating less frictions for the customer. And the way they do is to look beyond device intelligence, which tends to focus around security and consider incorporating more advanced capabilities around digital intelligence, behavioral analysis, and adaptive authentication that I have highlighted before to deliver a more effective and holistic uh, fraud prevention strategy. And lastly, um, cyber, cyber criminals uh, can operate in any locations as fraud is a borderless activity and criminals look for weaknesses using multiple techniques, including bot attacks, social engineering scams, and through the more traditional methods such as phishing, identity theft, and credit card fraud, and so on. 
looking from a very pragmatic perspective, Ty, what measures do and can organizations need to take to protect their businesses and customers' profiles? I think this question can be broken down into three parts. Uh, the first part is, is IT security infrastructure. The second is fraud prevention technology. And the third part is education and fraud awareness. Um, to be honest, uh, Simon, I'm not an IT expert, but having a robust first line of defense to protect the company internal infrastructure and internal network against direct threats, such as hacking, viruses, ransomware, etc., is a very critical step. The second part is related to fraud prevention technology and strategy. I have already highlighted some key elements from a technology perspective in the earlier part of the pod this podcast. But technology is only one element in a broader fraud prevention strategy. Many companies usually start this journey by identifying key priorities and objectives. Taking a phased approach, they may start by tackling the immediate priorities or risks uh, first, and then expand the approach into other areas uh, of the customer journey or products or markets. As companies expand into other products and markets, the regulatory landscape may become more complex and even more so when uh, businesses are expanding overseas. So companies in Asia have to navigate different uh, requirements and market conditions and therefore have to adjust their fraud models and approach accordingly. And the last and third part that is often overlooked is education and fraud awareness. Multiple surveys have shown that a significant number of users still click on phishing links. And many of these links take the user to malicious website where bad actors collect and harvest credentials that they can use to take over the accounts, commit uh, identity theft, and create synthetic ID to perpetuate their fraud activities. And consequently, businesses should work with authorities to create fraud awareness and educate con consumers on different types of fraud and how to spot and prevent, uh, prevent them. The good news is that authorities in the regions have been more active in defining more specific frameworks and guidelines around fraud prevention and have implemented public initiative uh, to enhance fraud awareness. You can think of Scam Alert Center in Singapore, the Commercial Crime Investigation Department in Malaysia, and the Anti-Deception Coordinations uh, in Hong Kong are some of the uh, examples. Yes, and it's these phishing links that are looking better and more professional, even compared with a few years ago before COVID. I definitely agree with that, Ty. Ty, how do companies leverage technology in risk assessment, especially encountering digital fraud? How do they ensure strict compliance in their operations? And what can companies do better? Yeah, I think considering that some business uh, businesses process millions of transactions on a daily basis, technology plays a critical role in combating fraud. In fact, 90% of the organizations that participated in our true cost of fraud study indicated that they leverage technology in the fight against fraud. And furthermore, a subset or around 58% of the organizations rely on third-party technology providers to, as they recognize the need for expert resources and guidance. And fraud can take on many forms. And, and, and earlier I mentioned about authorized push payment fraud or APP fraud as one of the hardest type of fraud to detect. Investment and dating scams and money mules are examples of APP fraud. And the financial impact 
on the victims can be severe. What makes APP fraud hard to detect is that the risk profile is different from the common types of third-party fraud, such as account takeover and credit card fraud. Let's, let's use the account takeover as a simplified example. So when a bad actor takes over an account, logs in, the risk profile of that account changes because, for example, the IP address, geolocation, behavior, and device information, etc., are different. And then these parameters may have been flagged as high risk in our identity, uh, digital identity network. In an APP fraud scenario, the victims are being coerced by bad actors into executing activities or transactions from their own accounts. As a result, when the account owners log into the account, the activity may not appear out of the ordinary at, at first. As soon as the account owners start executing uh, activity and transaction by coercion or based on external instruction, the behavior of the user on and off the device may change. Consider a scenario whereby the account owner is being instructed to add beneficiary, which are suspected scam accounts, and subsequently being asked to execute the transfers. As the account owner receives instructions over the phone, an active call is detected, and the behavior indicates that the victim is under stress by analyzing the signals from the device and its movement. And moreover, the beneficiary account may have been flagged as high risk in our consortium network. So in this scenario, by analyzing relevant signals and data attributes, the risk assessment indicates that this is a high-risk event and the transaction should, should therefore be blocked. And of course, the above example are, are obviously oversimplified. And the, your second question is around how, you know, how companies actually uh, prepare for that and how they, they remain compliant is that when we help companies implement fraud prevention technology, meeting Recti uh, requirement is one of the key objectives. Furthermore, when fraud, these fraud models are not static and should not be static, uh, as internal and market condition change, these models should be updated to ensure that they working effectively at operational level and remain compliant with new regulations. Absolutely fantastic news, Ty, and fabulous work that you are doing over there at Lexus Nexus Risk Solutions. If we have time for one more question, and I do thank you for your time today, Ty. If you could, in two or three sentences, list a couple of take-home messages for our listeners today, what would you want listeners to never forget from the messages that you've spoken about in this podcast? Okay, that's... um. That's an interesting one. Um, of course, there, there are a lot of topics that we have uh, discussed, but the, the three takeaways I, I would say is make sure the tone from the top is consistent. Fraud affects multiple parts of the organization, so it's essential to include the relevant stakeholder in the discussion. Uh, the second takeaway is understand that there's no one-size-fits-all solution in fraud prevention. The business objective, the immediate risk, uh, will dictate the appropriate uh, approach. And the third takeaway is fraud is not static. Uh, so what worked well in uh, in the past and yesterday may not meet today's standards. Votan Tai, Director of Marketing Planning, Fraud and Identity for APAC, LexisNexis Risk Solutions. Thank you so very much for joining us today. Very, very important discussion, very important work that you're doing. And this has been a very, very insightful conversation. Ladies and gentlemen, that's it for us today at Retail Asia. 
To know more about this topic, please register at Payment Fraud, the intersection of new payment channels in e-commerce, BNPL, and Digital Wallet Industries webinar this coming December 8th, Thursday, from 11 a.m. to 12 p.m. Singapore time. You can simply register at the link shared on the podcast description. Ty, thank you so much for joining us. Great to hear from you. My name is Simon Hyatt, and I thank you all very much for joining us today. Mm-hmm.